0: It has been dubbed the most important discovery since the discovery of King Tut's tomb. Uh, Earlier, uh, news broke about this discovery in ancient Egypt. It's uh, believed to be one of the largest, if not the largest, ancient Egyptian city uh, almost 3,500 years ago. And one archaeologist said this. He said, the archaeological layers... "...have laid untouched for thousands of years, left by ancient residents, as if it were yesterday." So they uncovered all of this dust, and they found this city as if it were yesterday. It's very much a snapshot in time, this archaeologist said. It's in the Egyptian version of Pompeii. He said, I don't think you can oversell it. It is mind-blowing." So we are in a a sermon series titled Simple Church. Buried under the dust now of almost 2,000 years, uh, in the pages of the book of Acts, we uncover a snapshot of the early church. It's a picture of the church as if it were just yesterday. And, And so when we look at the early church, especially in the book of Acts, Certainly, it's a much different time, and it's a much different place. But there's a lot that we have in common. We worship the same God today that the early church worshiped 2,000 years ago. We serve the same risen Savior. We're empowered by the same Holy Spirit. We have the same mission that they have We grow as disciples through the same practices that they grew by and we're confronted with a lot of the same challenges that the early church was confronted with. So the the snapshot of the early church that's seen in the the book of Acts, I think, is remarkably simple. And and, and it it needs to be clarified what I mean by simple again. it, It does not mean easy. When we read about the early church, there was nothing easy about it. But what I mean by the the word simple is that it was, the early church was concentrated and focused and clear about who they were and what it was that they were called to do. Now, that's not to say that the early church was perfect. We wouldn't have much of our New Testament if the early church was perfect. A reason a lot of these letters were written to the early church is because things were were going off the rails and God used people to write letters to the early church to to call them back. But one thing that I do observe is that they seemed laser focused on on who they were called to be and what they were called to do. So we're going to be spending the bulk of this sermon series in Acts chapter 2 looking at a passage that really puts all of these things together that, that the church did. And what's remarkable to me is that they didn't do a lot of things. They did a few things, and they did them over and over and over again. And the scripture says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we're going to plant ourselves in Acts chapter 2, but this morning, I want to go back to Acts chapter 1 to set up the series And just just as a reminder, uh, the book of Acts is really a continuation of the gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote the gospel uh, of Luke, uh, giving an account of Jesus' life. And then Jesus rose, and then he continued to write the book of Acts, which is now giving an account of the church following Jesus' uh, ascension. And as we begin reading, we're going to read about this person named Theophilus. You may wonder, who is Theophilus? Well, Theophilus was a, a, a patron, he was a, a sponsor, we today might call him a publicist. He had commissioned Luke to, to give this rendering, and so, so Luke addresses Theophilus. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you are welcome to open there, it'll also be up on the screen. I'm turning there in my Bible. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, on your marks, get set, wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every gospel author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have a a short passage in their gospel at the very end that gives an account of these 40 days that took place after Jesus rose and before he ascended to heaven. And in every single gospel, as they address these 40 days, they all record Jesus saying something similar. Matthew is the one that, that I'm most familiar with, Uh, records Jesus saying this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. I will be with you always. Go. Mark uh, says it this way. Mark says, Go into all the world. And preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Once again, go. Luke says this, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations, beginning here at Jerusalem. And John, one of my favorites, says, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I am sending you go. Jesus' charge comes through loud and clear. We can't miss it. Go. It's like a a relay runner who has a baton, and they're barreling down on their teammate who's standing there, and they're saying, go, go, I'm about to reach you and pass you the baton. Go. Go make disciples. Go preach the good news. Go proclaim repentance and forgiveness in my name. Go, I'm sending you. Go already. And so Acts 1 begins, and and it's going to carry on that same charge. In just a few more verses, Jesus is going to say, Go, be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But right before this call to go, according to Luke, Jesus actually says, Ready, set, wait. Don't go just yet. I know that I've called you to your mark. I know that I've called you to get set. But hold on for the moment. Don't leave Jerusalem, Jesus said. But wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait for what? Kids, did you hear it? Wait for the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, uh, if you have a, a Bible, you might see that your book is actually titled The Acts of the Apostles. The full title to the book is The Acts of the Apostles. But it would be just as appropriate to name this book The Acts of the Holy Spirit. The primary actor in the book of Acts is not Peter. And it's not Paul, and it's not Barnabas, and it's not Mark, and it's not any of the other disciples. The primary actor, the, the, the primary agent, the primary subject in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. So let me give you uh, a, an example uh, of this. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, we read a, a, just a great story. So the disciples are out, and they're proclaiming the name of Jesus, And they are bringing healing to people. They're healing the the blind. They're casting out demons. And and it's creating quite a stir. And the, the religious leaders learn about this. And they're threatened because none of these disciples came to them and asked them for permission. They are just taking it upon themselves to go out and do these things. And so the religious leaders seize them and imprison them. They want to question them and figure out what's going on. But during the night, an angel comes and opens the doors of the prison and tells the disciples, go back to the temple courts and continue proclaiming forgiveness in my name. And so the disciples do. They leave the prison, they go to the temple courts the next day, and they continue ministering. Well, the next day, the religious leaders come to that prison, they find the cells empty, they interrogate the the prison guards, and then someone comes and says, I I see them, They're, they're in the temple courts right now. So the religious leaders go and they, they seize them, they bring them before their council, before the Sanhedrin, and they begin to interrogate them. And they said, we gave you orders not to proclaim anything more in this name, in the name of Jesus. To which Peter responds, we cannot obey man, we must obey God. And this absolutely enrages, enrages the religious leaders because Peter is saying, you you don't have the the mind of God. What you're doing is is different from the will of God, and we're going to serve God. We're not going to serve you. They are so enraged that they want to kill the disciples on the spot, and at this moment, one of them, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, stands up, and he says this, men of Israel, he's speaking to his fellow Pharisees, Sadducees, he's speaking to the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, Consider carefully what it is you're about to do. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He created quite a stir. But he was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, And he led a band of people in revolt, created quite a stir. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, he says, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose and activity is of human origin, it will fail just like all the others. They might create a little stir for a time, but eventually it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You're only going to find yourselves fighting against God. And I want to say, preach it, Gamaliel. If our efforts as a church no matter how well-intentioned they are, no matter how strategic we are, no matter how compelling the preaching is or how wonderful the, the worship is, if all of that is a work of human origin, you know what we might do? We might create a little dust. We might create a little stir. But ultimately, Gamaliel's right. It will amount to nothing. But if we are led by the Spirit of God, then nothing can stand against us. Any opposition that comes against us will only find itself fighting not against us, but against God, but against the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another great example from from Scripture. We need to go back to Mount Sinai. The Israelites are down at the base of camp. Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God. He's taking a long time in returning, and so they grow restless and they create a golden calf. And they begin to worship this golden calf. And God becomes, becomes so frustrated with his people. He tells Moses, You know what? You guys go ahead, go to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. This is a critical moment in Moses' leadership. You know what he could have done? He could have said, Okay. You know, I, I'm a pretty good leader, and, and I think we can pull this off. I think we can get to the promised land, and, and, and I'm sad that you're not going to go with us, but, but we'll do that. But instead, Moses, Moses has the, the mind of Gamaliel. He knows what's up. And so he says to God, he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. How's anyone going to know that you're pleased with us, that you're pleased with me, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish us as your people from all the other people if you don't go with us? And the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to do everything that you ask because I'm pleased with you. Apart from the presence of God, apart from the spirit of God, there is no promised land. There is no way for us to get to some promised land apart from the Spirit of God. Apart from God going with us, our journey is destined for failure. Yes, we might create a little stir, and it might even look impressive, but the end result will amount to nothing if it is of human origin. Ready, set, wait, Jesus says wait for the gift my father promised what distinguishes us as a church it's not the quality of the preaching it's not the great praise team it's not this wonderful technology we have it's not our our vibrant kids ministry our, our youth ministry What distinguishes us is the same thing that distinguished the early church. It is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It is uh, the church that is spirit filled, it is the disciples who are spirit led, it is the the ministry that is spirit empowered, it is the, the message that is spirit inspired. To try and do church apart from the Spirit is like trying to drive your car without fuel in the tank. It's like trying to hit a baseball without a bat. It's like trying to make orange juice without oranges, trying to write without words. I had a lot of fun coming up with these examples. It's futile, it's impossible to try and do church apart from the Spirit. But what I wonder is, do we not do that sometimes? That we think we've got this? Like, we can do this fairly well. We know the formula. Good preaching. Great praise team. Good kids ministry. Be engaging. Have good coffee. That's important. Let's not forget that. And we think we can kind of do this church thing. The Spirit of God is not optional. So the mission, let's talk about the mission. It is critical. I'm going to return to the story I shared last week about the teacher who talked to her students. Who, who went to, to church on Easter, a classroom of 20 students in rural America? You'd think the majority of the hands would go up. One hand in 20 students. This is our world. These are our neighbors. The mission is absolutely critical. It is urgent we must go on your marks, get said go. But Jesus says, Before you go, wait. I know how urgent the mission is, but wait. Wait for what? Wait for the Holy Spirit. So, Luke, at the end of his gospel, he says to the disciples, This is what's written Christ is going to suffer, he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. He said, You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been, listen to this, clothed with power from on high. That's the Holy Spirit. Wait until you have been clothed with power. From on high, So if we go apart from the, the Holy Spirit, we are not clothed with power from on high. This is what the Spirit has done for us. And so the disciples, they learn this lesson immediately. So Acts 1 bleeds into Acts 2. The disciples are all together. They're doing exactly what Jesus told him, them to do. They're waiting. They're all in one place. Acts 2 verse 2 says this. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, and it came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The language of the disciples was likely Aramaic. So that's their their native tongue. They probably knew some, some Greek in the same way that many of us know Spanish. You know, we, we know a bit of it. Maybe they knew some Hebrew. But Latin and Persian and Parthian and Coptic and Arabic, these were, were foreign languages to them that, like, to us would be Swahili. Like, if we just started breaking out in Swahili today, you know something's up. There might be one person in here who knows Swahili. I kind of doubt it. Anyone know Swahili? I know a few words. Wanabaraka. Wale waombo. I have no idea what that means, but I know it's Swahili. And so they start breaking out in this language, in the language of the people who are coming to Jerusalem that day, and people start to hear them in their own native tongue. So let me ask you, was this very first act an act of the apostles? Or would it be better to say this was an act of the Holy Spirit through the apostles? I mean, I think it's clear. The, Holy, the, the apostles are not going to do this apart from the Holy Spirit. They're not going to just start breaking out in Persian and Parthian. The Holy Spirit has work. And so they learn right away, this is bigger than us. I mean, God wants to do some things that in our, of ourselves, we don't have the power to do We need to be clothed with power on high. So simple church. The the first thing, the most important thing that jumps off the pages of Acts to me is that the church operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's on every page in the book of Acts. The church operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what does that mean for us today? 2021, the temptation, I think, for us is to ask a question which I believe is the wrong question. The temptation is to ask the question, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, we want that, right? How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can we get what they had? The reason I think that is the wrong question because my understanding of scripture is that we have what they had we already have what they had pentecost what happened in that upper room the giving of the holy spirit it's already happened jesus said i'm gonna go and when i go i'm gonna send you a counselor in my place that has happened he has sent his holy spirit Jesus said, the Spirit's going to take from what is mine, and he's going to make it known to you. Jesus even went so far as to say, it's actually going to be better for you that I go. I mean, I know, I would love to, to have Jesus here with us today. But if he were, like he was 2,000 years ago, he would be confined to one place. Because he was limited to, to a, a human body. And so if he was with me, he couldn't be with you. But today we have the Holy Spirit who is not confined to a a human body, to a time and place. The, The Holy Spirit is with me and he's with you, and we can be in different places, and we have the Spirit of God with us. The Spirit of God is the third member of the Trinity. This is not some diminished version of God. This is God. We have God with us, in us. Do you not know that you are God's temple? We read in Corinthians. And that the Spirit of God lives in you. This is true. This is not something we need to wait for. It has already happened. The Spirit of God has been given to us. It happened 2,000 years ago. And so thinking that that somehow we need to be filled by the Holy Spirit again, it's kind of like thinking, you know what? Jesus came as a a baby. He incarnated 2,000 years ago, and, and we needed him to do it again. And he died 2,000 years ago, and we need him to do it again. And he rose 2,000 years ago, and we need him to do it again. The Holy Spirit has already come. He doesn't need to come again. We have the Holy Spirit. So what's the better question? I think it might be this. Why do we expect so little from the Holy Spirit? If we've been clothed with power from on high, why do we expect so little? Why do we trust so little? Think about Abraham. God told Abraham, I want you to leave her, and I want you to go to this place you know not of. You know what I might tell Abraham today? Abraham, there's a lot of people that are depending on you. I don't know if this is a good idea, you know, to leave and have no idea where you're going. Abraham, at least maybe you could ask God to give you a map. Think about Gideon. He had 35,000 soldiers. God whittled that down to 300 and told him to go to war against the Midianites. Today, I might tell Gideon, uh, Gideon, do you see how outnumbered you are? The odds are not in your favor, Gideon. Maybe you should. Wait for another day. Get those 35,000 troops back. Think about David. David stood up to Goliath. Today, I might be inclined to tell David to stand down like his brothers. Like, David, this is not a good idea. Your five little stones and your slingshot aren't much against this giant. To turn to the book of Acts, let's, let's use the example of Philip. The Holy Spirit tells Philip, I want you to go to this desert road. Today, I might say to Philip, you know, that's really kind of unwise. Like, why waste your time? Philip, you're a valuable disciple of Christ. Why waste your time in the desert? But Philip trusted the Spirit and went to the desert road. And lo and behold, on the desert road, he sees a chariot. And the Spirit says, run up to the chariot. And today I might tell Philip, Philip, it's kind of forward of you just to run up to this chariot. Yeah, I don't know if that's a real wise thing. And it might be dangerous. They might think you like mean them harm and they might hurt you. But Philip heeds the Holy Spirit and he runs up to the chariot. And he hears the Ethiopian in the chariot reading scripture. And he says, Do you understand what it is that you're reading? And and today I might say, Philip, that's kind of forward again. Maybe you should just mind your own business, like stay in your lane. But he listens to the Spirit. And you know what happens? The man in the chariot gets baptized. And today, he might not get baptized. Because I didn't want to waste my time. And because I didn't want to be too forward. And because I, didn't wanna, because I wanted to mind my own business, because I wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit, because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, there are Ethiopians who are not getting baptized. In Hebrews, we read a very challenging verse that it's so easy just to read right past. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Camp out on that word impossible. Do you want to please God? I do. As a church, I want us to be a church that pleases God. Impossible without faith. What's also true is it's so tempting to want to do things without faith, to, to have all of the answers, to control everything we can control, only take a step forward when we know how it's going to work out. Why are we working so hard to do things without faith when it's impossible to please God without faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Apart from the Spirit, it's impossible to do anything that's going to amount to anything for God. We've been clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Why are we in such a hurry to take those clothes off? Listen to Gamaliel. It's of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, nothing's going to be able to stand against it. Join me as we pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given us uh, your son and you've given us your spirit. And Lord, we confess uh, as a church that um, often we, we forget that. Lord, we try and operate out of our own strength and out of our own abilities and our own um, cleverness. And Lord, we take our eyes off of you. So Lord, help us be mindful of your presence. Help us uh, live out of uh, the power uh, of you in our lives. And Lord, we look forward to what it is that you're going to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.